is a Tuesday in the fall here on Brand Global Games. I'm to break down all things in the National Football Week as well as a big game in college football this weekend. Now, you already know we're in collaboration with the one and the only Voltage Live. You already know my social media links are in the description below. Check me out whether you are listening on audio or watching the video podcast on YouTube. Before we get into all things Week 1 NFL, which obviously uh, a lot went down, including what happened last night, and we'll get to it at the end of the show as we cover the Monday night game with the Jets and the Bills. I want to kick off today's podcast by talking about the rematch from last year in college football. That being Texas, obviously defeating Alabama 34-24. Now, last year, Texas had a chance to beat Alabama. Quinn Ewers did not play that well in the game. Uh, Alabama's offense did not play that well, but Alabama's defense forced them into field goals. And then, obviously, Bryce Young uh, made a terrific you know, drive at the end of the game for Alabama to pull that game off down in the Longhorn State. This year, though, up in Bama, when it looked like Alabama had the momentum, Texas stepped up and from jump, it looked like Texas had the momentum and they were not afraid of Alabama. Now, this Alabama team is not the same team that we've seen for the last 16 years since Nick Saban's been there since 2007. And we all know the culture of football has changed. It's no longer defensive, rigid, run the ball, kick field goals, punt the ball. We all know in today's game of football, whether it's high school, college, NFL, everybody is running the same concepts. I would say it's about 60 to 65%, if not more of that, uh, depending on what you know, uh, skill level you're at, high school, NFL, college, of shotgun. It's a lot of RPO. It's a lot of inside zone. It's a lot of spreading the defense out. A lot of 11 personnel, three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end on the field, and stretching the defense both vertically and horizontally. And we know Steve Sarkeesian, former assistant at Alabama, former offensive coordinator with the Falcons in the NFL, now the head coach of Texas. It looked like last year Texas was a little bit afraid of the moment. Not so much this year. Uh, Alabama came in and just absolutely looked out coached, outplayed, and Texas dominated. And Quinn Ewers, who, you know, did not play at Ohio State, he could not beat up C.J. Stroud. He struggled last year against the good teams uh, down there in the Big 12. I was not sure about how Quinn Ewers was going to translate at Texas, but he absolutely played the best game of his career uh, against Alabama, big time stage, prime time ESPN in Tuscaloosa Saturday night. And Texas now looks like a national championship contender. And from what we've seen with the NIL, you know, guys are not always going to Alabama. They're not always going to Georgia. They're not always going to Ohio State. Uh, They're certainly not always going to Clemson anymore. Um, you know, Notre Dame, LSU, et cetera, you name these big time schools. And sometimes, you know, you get a coach like Deion Sanders, who's absolutely doing a great job in the transfer portal and turning around Colorado. You look at, again, Brian Kelly going to LSU, uh, Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC. Sometimes these high profile coaches are going to bring in their guys. They're, they're going to get the transfer portal right. 
Uh, but college football now, more than the last decade for sure, is a little bit less regional and less predictable, which is always great for the sport. Now, obviously, the expanded playoffs going to happen, and it may neutralize some of this regular season talk. I mean, next year when it goes to 12 teams, we're not as much talking about this Texas-Alabama game because it's not going to mean much. Because, you know, Alabama loses one game, they're fine. Now, all of a sudden, Alabama loses one game. And with their schedule, obviously, in that vaunted SEC, there's a real possibility they lose another game. And they, once again, do not have a chance to qualify for the college football playoff. And this is something that's really good for college football. And I think it's one of the reasons why they expanded the playoffs. Though you could make the argument like I have. Um, keeping it at four makes these regular season games matter even more because we have so many teams from across the country this year that have a chance to win the, the national championship. Obviously, down south, you have Georgia. Alabama is obviously always going to be in the conversation. Now, sort of, you know, a little bit more west out there in Texas. You do have Texas with a chance, I would say, the way they've been playing. Obviously, out west, USC. And then Midwest, you know, your Ohio State, your Michigan, your Penn State, down to the Big Ten. So that is, you know, the Big Ten, uh, the Pac-12, the SEC, the Big 12. All four of those conferences have a team or two or three that either have a legitimate chance to get into the playoff or is a very, very, very good football team. Um, and I think that, again, the transfer portal – uh, the rules becoming easier for the offense. We have so many great quarterbacks and wide receivers and tight ends. Offensive line play is down, but quarterback play is up. Receiver play is up. Tight end play is up. Scoring seems to be up, and we'll see that more and more as we get late into the season. I think it's a great thing. I think it makes for more entertaining. And the more you have big-time quarterbacks on the field, the more you have them spread out, uh, the more fun it's going to be. That's why I really like the fact that USC, Oregon, you know, all these teams go into the Big Ten. Then you have Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC. It's going to force these teams to recruit better. Uh, it's going to force these teams to get better quarterbacks. And when we have, you know, seven, eight, nine potential First-round picks. We all know about Caleb Williams. We all know about Drake May. Um, you know, who knows if this Sanders kid comes out, Deion Sanders' son. Who knows about Quinn Ewers? The point is, I think for the first time in a long time, college football is healthy. Uh, it's great competition. The games are less broad now. We are having more important games early in the season. Some of these guys, you know, like Penn State beat a cupcake. 63 to whatever, and Ohio State played Youngstown State, and they're going to play, you know, somebody else a cupcake uh, before they get to Notre Dame. We already know those are built in on the schedule, but the more big gains we have and the more challenges we have and the better teams we have, it's going to get people to a TV screen on Saturdays. Everybody in the world watches football on Sundays, you know, men, women, children, older people. There are not a lot of people that do not at least watch some form of the NFL on Sunday. The NFL is so popular uh, by a mile. There's actually a lot of NFL fans, though, that don't watch college football. And so you're a fan like me where, you know, you'll watch the big games 
But really, you know, when it's time for the draft, we'll go in and we'll look. And you know, Georgia's good, Bama's good, Ohio State's good, etc. You'll go in, you'll watch the players, you'll read the mock drafts, and you can make a determination based on that. But the more college football you watch, in my opinion, sometimes it translates, sometimes it's better. But the better college football is, the better these guys are going to be ready to come into the pros in the NFL and contribute right away. So Alabama, a lot like New England had a stranglehold on the AFC East for a decade and a half. Alabama had a stranglehold on college football for about a decade. That is no longer the case. Georgia, in my opinion, is probably the best team, but they don't even have a stranglehold on on the sport. You know, even though they won back-to-back titles, even though they knocked out TCU in the national championship game, it was a little bit of a tough road to get there, and there's a lot more competition than there certainly was in the past, and that is always a good thing. So, again, I think college football is healthy. I think Quinn Ewers played great. I think Texas was not afraid of Alabama. I think Alabama is not the team they once were. Yes, I do think the dynasty's over. Yes, I do think that Georgia, Texas, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC – uh, you know, some people want to throw Tennessee in there. And I would also say don't leave out Bama in that conversation because we know they're going to probably get hot at the end of the year. But for the first time in a long time, there are a multitude of teams in college football that can win the national championship. And now that we've done for our college football portion of the show, it is time to go over week one of the National Football Week. And what started off with the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs Thursday night football. Now, I told you guys on Thursday, the line at that point was going down to four and a half. It looked like Travis Kelsey was not going to play. And when I officially heard of that, I said, take the Lions and the points. I switched my pick from Kansas City to Detroit, and I was proven right. Uh, now, I did not think Detroit played that well. I did not like the game plan by Ben Johnson, and I've been praising Ben Johnson all offseason for his work with Jared Goff, who once again, Jared Goff, by the way, played fantastic. The rookie gives the running back looked really good in the past game, but this game really changed when the Lions finally started to run the football, which they shouldn't take advantage of early in the game. Kansas City without Chris Jones. Now Chris Jones is coming back this week because Kansas City knows they have a huge game here going up against the Jaguars. But Patrick Mahomes did not want comfortable at times. He struggled in the second half. Yes, there were some big drops. Sky Moore, Canarius, Tony obviously did not contribute. Uh, but when your whole offense is based on Travis Kelsey, and then you can work in your moors and your mind and, and your scantlings and, you know, all the little guys underneath it. When you don't have Kelsey, as I said on Thursday, it allows the defense to play a lot more soft in that cover two shell. It also allows you to play more man-to-man defense. It really forced those receivers to break off the press coverage, which what the Lions did, they got a big pick six from the rookie branch from Alabama, who I really liked out of the draft. Uh, I thought that was a great pick by the Lions. So overall, big credit to the Lions. They were to pull out a big game. They were fearless. They ran the ball away. They chewed the clock. They made big plays when they had to, and they absolutely earned that victory. Now, Browns-Bengals. Now, a while like the games on Sunday, this was a wet one. Deshaun Watson did not play that great. 
I did not expect him to play great. I did not expect Joe Burrow to play great. I thought it was going to be a low-scoring game, and it went almost exactly the way I expected it to. I said the line was wrong. The Browns should have been favored. Uh, Joe Burrow obviously dealing with a cap injury. Browns have had the Bengals number, the new scheme of Kevin Stefanski, Deshaun Watson, the new scheme of new defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, and the Browns defensive line, led by the additions of Delvin Tomlinson, Zedaria Smith, and then, of course, Miles Garrett, who I thought Garrett arguably played the best game he's ever played. They went out there and just destroyed that Bengals offensive line. Now, it is week one. I'm not going to over panic if I'm a Bengals fan. I think they're going to get it right. Uh, Joe Burrow last year came in, really struggled the first two games. People forget the Bengals were two and three for the first five games. Joe Burrow did not look great. The offensive line did not look great, but they got better as the year went on. I expect the same thing to continue. Now, the question is, is this Browns defense that good? We're going to find out here because Pittsburgh's going to be without Deontay Johnson. They're also going to be without Cam Hayward. That is a big game Monday night, Browns at Steelers. If the Browns can go 2-0 here and win two division games to serve the year, that sets off the Browns really well and gives the Browns a great chance to potentially win the AFC North. And I picked them for fourth place. Uh, in the hardest division in football, but a great opening win. The Browns' first home opening win since 2004. Now, Houston hung in there for a half. Baltimore ended up winning it 25-9. They did lose J.K. Dobbins, and the Ravens' injury luck strikes again already. Odell Beckham was seemingly opping around. Ronnie Staley got injured during the game. I already mentioned J.K. Dobbins, and I said going into the year, I'm going to be optimistic about the Baltimore Ravens. This is going to be the year they get healthy and boom, run off the bat. They already lose a running back, left tackle banged up. Now they go into a home game against the Bengals. Now the Ravens are 1-0. The Bengals are 0-1. But with Baltimore's injury history, believe it or not, this actually feels like more of a bigger game for Baltimore. They have to win this one at home because they got the Browns in week four in Cleveland. They got Pittsburgh week five in Pittsburgh. That is a tough tilt to go back-to-back Cleveland and Pittsburgh on the road in your division. This is their first home game of the divisional year. Coming off a a sort of a tune-up against Houston that played them well for a half. And Lamar Jackson did not play great. Uh, Baltimore's defense obviously overwhelmed C.J. Stroud. Again, we don't know if C.J. Stroud is the answer. I like some of their pieces offensively. Now, John Menchie did not play, so Stroud did not have a lot of targets. They host Indianapolis. And if Anthony Richardson does not play, that's almost a must-win for Houston if they want to show some improvement. If Anthony Richardson does play, which we'll get to in a minute, all of a sudden it's a very interesting game. But Baltimore takes care of Houston. I picked Baltimore to win. They did so covering the large spread of 10 points at 25-9. to This was the shock of the week for me. Uh, I picked Pittsburgh plus 2.5. I thought San Francisco was going to really struggle. Going from west to east coast time, Brock Purdy's first game action since the NFC Championship game last year, uh, and the Steelers just flat out fell flat. Kenny Pickett did not look comfortable. The offensive line got pushed around. The defensive line got pushed around. And San Francisco flat out won the line of scrimmage. Now, we know Mike Tomlin's a great coach. 
But there's one thing for that to happen in San Francisco to me. It's another thing for that to happen, you know, at Heinz Field or whatever it's called now in Pittsburgh with a team who really does struggle often early in the season. And the Steelers were just not prepared from jump. And Brock Purdy and that Niners offense took them apart. I mean, they scored on almost every single drive. Brandon Ayuk had a big game. And at one point, the yardage in this game was San Francisco 199 to Pittsburgh 1. And this was a classic example. And what we saw for most of the weekend was offensive coaches taking defensive coaches to the woodshed. And Mike Tomlin's ability to, to adjust. Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, inability to innovate and get Kenny Pickett, Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Pat Ryermuth, George Pickens involved. It was a bad performance, which is why I say it's a very interesting game here. Browns at Pittsburgh next Monday night because Pittsburgh was embarrassed at home. You know they're going to want to play their asses off. However, they lost Deontay Johnson. They lost Cam Award, who's their second-best defensive lineman outside of T.J. Watt. Uh, and if they cannot overcome the Browns' run game, this is so important for Pittsburgh here. If they start 0-2 at home, their season may be doomed. And again, I picked Mike Tomlin the last couple of years to finally finish under 500. This year, I said I stopped doubting him. And maybe this is the year they do. And maybe Kenny Pickett. I uh, did not take that year two step that we all thought he was going to do. Speaking of a year two step, year two in Doug Peterson's system, man, did Trevor Lawrence in year three, which we're going to discount year one because of Urban Meyer. But boy, did that Jaguars offense with Trevor, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, Alvin Ridley, who had a huge game, Evan Ingram. Man, did they look sharp against Indianapolis. But yet the coach and Shane Steichen hung in there long enough. They used Anthony Richardson on the ground a ton, which you would expect they would do without Jonathan Taylor. Michael Pittman had, had a good game. You know, as I've been saying, the Colts offensive line is pretty good. Anthony Richardson's going to struggle as a passer. It's going to look like Josh Allen did uh, year one in Buffalo, where maybe they don't win a ton of games. They're going to run the ball around. They're going to be competitive in games, though. I thought Shane Steichen was a little bit too aggressive. I think they were like over five on fourth down. There was an opportunity where they they could have kicked the field goal, uh, but they did not. And Jacksonville ended up covering the four-point spread. Weird game here. Ryan Tannehill looked awful. Derek R. looked awful. Tennessee covered the three points. I said I would stay away from this game. I thought this was going to be one of the weirdest games of the weekend. Titans and Rams. Two defensive coaches with two defensive cultures uh, run the ball, play defense, kick field goals, lots of turnovers. Derek Carr made one throw away to seal the game, but again, it was a weird, weird game. Tennessee kicked five field goals. Ryan and looked terrible. I would not be surprised if we see Malik Willis or Will Levis sooner than later. Saints win by a point. Speaking of a weird game, yeah, Atlanta won 24 to 10. Bijan Robinson got a touchdown. That was great. I wish Arthur Smith would use him more because I'm sorry he's already better than Tyler Algier. But this score does not indicate that Carolina kept this game close. And I picked Carolina to pull off the upset, and I believe if they would have had DJ Chark, they would have had a better chance at doing so. Now, Bryce Young struggled. He threw a couple interceptions, 
though he did make some really nice throws, including his first career touchdown pass to Aiden Hurst. We know Frank Reich is really good with quarterbacks. There were signs there with Bryce Young that as the season goes on, Carolina is going to get better. They should win their home matchup next week, in my opinion, against the Saints, who, yes, is a good defense. We'll see how Derek Carr performs, though, uh, on the big stage Monday night. At one point, Desmond Ritter was 4 for 4 for 0 yards. Atlanta did not throw the ball downfield. Drake London did not get a catch. Kyle Pitts only caught, you know, a ball or two. The Atlanta offense was weird. It was a weird game plan by Arthur Smith. It was a weird game all the way around. Uh, and again, Atlanta won by two touchdowns. They covered the two and a half, but the score does not indicate. I thought Carolina played Atlanta well. And I think Carolina still has a chance to win the NFC South, which, you know, it's week one, so we're not going to overreact. But out of all four teams, I actually thought Tampa Bay looked the best. Which, speaking of Tampa Bay, they took out Minnesota 20-17. to And Baker Mayfield did not play great in the first half. But, man, is that what Baker Mayfield does, isn't it? Great touchdown strike to Mike Evans. Key plays on third down, moving the chains. And Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles going in there and shocking Minnesota. We all talked about how Minnesota went 11-0 in one possession games last year and how they're not going to repeat that performance. And boy, was that true. And I mentioned it. I wasn't sure if Alexander Madison could be the RB1. We always saw he filled in for Dalvin Cook. But over a 17-game season, that's a different strategy. And Minnesota did not run the ball particularly well. Now, their rookie Jordan Addison looked good at receiver. And Kirk Cousins threw for a bunch of yards. But Brian Flores' defense, you expect to get better throughout the year. Sunday, they were not very good. Now, they were expected to win the game. They were like seven-point favorites against Tampa Bay. You know they're going to come in angry against a Philadelphia team where they got embarrassed by last year, week two, on Monday Night Football. Now they come into Philadelphia on Thursday night, 0-1 of a bad loss. Philly survives against New England, which we'll get to. This all of a sudden now with a Nicobe Dean injury for Philly, a James Bradbury injury for Philly, Minnesota suffering multiple offensive line injuries, including the left tackle and center. This turns into a very interesting game, I believe, Thursday night. Now, Arizona-Washington. Uh, Washington should be embarrassed with how close this was. Josh Dodds did not play great. Sam Howe did not play great. It was another weird game. Although at the Titans-Saints game, Washington did not cover. Arizona ends up covering the seven points. Washington wins 20-16. to 16. I mean, it's Sam Howe versus Josh Dobbs. What can you expect? Now we get to almost the shock of the weekend. If it wasn't for what happened Monday night, if it wasn't for what happened Sunday night, if it wasn't for what happened in San Francisco, Jordan Love. I said I didn't think Jordan Love was going to pop at all. I watched him play at Utah State. I watched him play against Kent State. Could not move the ball against Kent State. I said in the NFL, you're an offensive head coach. It's an offensive league. You should not have to sit for three years. But Jordan Love came in, and maybe it's week one. Maybe it's the element of surprise. But Matt LaFleur, even without Christian Watson, dialed up plays to the young rookie tight ends. Dialed up plays to Romeo Dobbs. Got Aaron Jones involved with two touchdowns. 
I thought it was a masterful game plan by an offensive mind to support Jordan Love. They didn't ask Jordan Love to do much. They asked him to run the ball, play action, make a few good plays, and really up the quarterback with good, safe, short throws. On the other hand, Chicago, their offensive line could not block. They barely got DJ Moore involved. They barely got Okamet involved. It was Justin Fields running for his life. And Justin Fields now in year three, year two, and Lou Getzey's system, the offensive coordinator for Chicago, still does not look like he can see the field, which is a troubling sign. So going into the year, we all thought Green Bay would be looking for a quarterback, and we all thought Justin Fields, with the addition of DJ Moore, would make an immediate pop. But what happens? Jordan Love gets an offensive coach, Matt LaFleur. Justin Fields still has a defensive coach, which I said at the time was the wrong hire. And it's no disrespect to Matt Eberflus. He can absolutely coach defense. He's a great defensive coordinator, and I'm sure if he had a veteran quarterback, Give him a chance to be a head coach in the National Football League. But with Justin Fields, who was not a great passer out of Ohio State, he really needed a Brian Dable. He really needed, you know, a young, bright, offensive-minded head coach like a Matt LaFleur to have steer him along, and he hasn't got it. And it's a lot of, hey, Justin, go play hero ball, which is a lot like Buffalo asked of Josh Allen, Sean McDermott defensive coach. It's a lot like Robert Sala would have asked of Aaron Rodgers, defensive-minded head coach. I don't, and by the way, it's from Brandon Staley, ask of Justin Herbert. I have a defensive-minded head coach, but Justin Herbert, you have to go score 40 points every single week. It just doesn't make any sense to me uh, why these defensive coaches don't wrap their arms around the quarterback. All of a sudden, Chicago goes to Tampa. A very interesting game, very hard game to call, in my opinion. Same thing with Green Bay going to Atlanta. Desmond Ritter did not look good. If Green Bay wins their first two games on the road and starts 2-0, we might be having a conversation of Green Bay having a chance to knock off the favorite Detroit in the NFC North. Now, the Rams, they took apart Seattle. This was another shock, even without Cooper Cup. Was Seattle a flash in the pan last year? Because Geno Smith did not look great. And I kept saying, I know Seattle's got the weapons. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigma. I know what they did last year. But that was a dud. I don't care which way you look at it. The Rams were playing an all-new defense, and they flat-out disrupted Seattle, who did not look good after the first quarter. And the Rams scored in every drive in the second half. Peak arrow defensive-minded head coach could not stop the Rams without their best player offensively. Sometimes it's bad matchups. Listen, we know the Rams are bad matchups with, with the Niners. We know the Bengals have bad matchups with the Browns. Maybe Seattle is just a bad matchup for the Rams. But if this continues, and I don't know who Seattle has next, I want to say it's Detroit in Detroit. If Seattle starts 0-2, for some people, it was uh, their dark or Super Bowl contender, the Seattle Seahawks. They could be in trouble. Now, Vegas, they beat Denver. I picked Denver to win this game. I thought by three or four points. Instead, Jacoby Myers had a great game. Russell Wilson still looks washed. And Jimmy Garoppolo does what Jimmy Garoppolo has always done, whether it's been in New England, San Francisco, or Las Vegas. If you like Jimmy Garoppolo, hang around. Jimmy Garoppolo will find a way to win the game. Vegas wins it 17-16. to 16. 
I don't think this changes Vegas' outlook for the season that much. I still don't think Jimmy G is going to be healthy. I still think there's a lot of underneath problems there lying beneath the surface with the Chandler Jones situation, the Devontae Adams situation. But this was a nice week one win. And Denver, who we all thought, you know, the offensive line was going to improve. I said it, though, the receiver injuries to Judy, Hamler, Tim Patrick, that was going to change Denver's offense, and we've already seen it. And Russell Wilson did not look greatly better than what he did last year. I would say slightly better, and I would be a little bit concerned if I was a Broncos fan. Now, Dolphins Chargers, what a shootout. Who I kept saying, this is why Miami, if he stays healthy, Miami's going to win the AFC East. This is why you need an offensive coach because Tua went from a defensive-minded head coach, Brian Flores, looked like a complete bust. Now he's got Mike McDaniel, he's got Tyree Kill, he's got Jalen Waddle. He throws for nearly 500 yards, and defensive-minded Brandon Staley cannot stop the Dolphins' offense. Meanwhile, Kellen Moore, great impression. Chargers going up and down the field. Herbert looks great, though. I thought Vic Vangio made key blitzes, the new Dolphins defensive coordinator, late in the game. I thought that was a great adjustment. But at the end of the day here, this was a coaching battle, and the Dolphins outcoached the Chargers, and now the Dolphins have a chance to go to New England. And we'll see. Bill Belichick with a lot of tape on Jalen Hurts. Of course, Philly only won 25 to 20. The Eagles offense did not look great. Jalen Ertz, who did not play in the preseason, I thought he was going to be a little rusty. I thought new offensive coordinator Brian Johnson was a little conservative. I think they're going to get it right. Defensively, they need to press up on the corners. We'll see Sean Diaz's new strategy as the Eagles barely hold that out there 25 to 20. But I combine these two games because now you've got Miami going to New England. And New England feels pretty good about themselves, the way they played the NFC champion last year. Matt Jones played a better game on Sunday than he did all of last year. But New England's momentum could all be carried out because, again, you get the most time to watch film in week one. If Miami goes into New England on primetime and stomps Belichick, let alone even wins by seven, eight points, and controls the game, the Dolphins are going to feel good about themselves. They feel real good about where they're at offensively. Vic Mangio is a very smart defensive coordinator. You know, we know Xavier Howard and Byron Jones struggled against those great Charger receivers. I expect them to do what Philadelphia should have done. With Again, when you add the personnel like Darius Slay, James Bradbury, Avante Maddox, there's really no excuse for it. Uh, to press them on those New England receivers and force them to beat man coverage. I think Miami now, especially the way Buffalo walked, Miami should be in the driver's seat in the AFC East. Listen, people about the Giants were going to keep it close with Dallas. I didn't understand why the spread was only three and a half. I said Daniel Jones stinks. I said the Giants stink. I said Dallas was going to blow them out. And that's exactly what happened. Cowboys went at 40 to nothing. And now let's get to the events on Monday Night Football. This is why at the end of last year, I said I would have fired Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott. The offensive clearly regressed without Brian Dable. Ken Dorsey was not a great fit as offensive coordinator for Josh Allen. The Bills' defense was regressing. They were very Josh Allen-reliant. 
I think they realized that. So they went in the offseason. They obviously got James Cook better. They went out, they got Joan Kincaid in the draft. They went more two tight end sets. They ran the football a little bit more. They controlled the game for most of the game. And yet the Jets defense with Zach Wilson hung around. Garrett Wilson made one of the best catches that you will see in the NFL, period, regardless of year. That was one of the best catches I've seen in my life. The kid Gibson, the undrafted kid we watched in Arnax with a great punt return in overtime. And all of a sudden, Buffalo, who turned the ball over four times and was moving the ball and did not look great, and Josh Allen was wild and inconsistent still and has not changed at all from the end of last year, all of a sudden lose to the Jets. Now, I don't think that's a great sign for the Jets that you get four turnovers and you barely win the game and Zach Wilson did not look great at all. And yes, I'm sorry, the Jets season is absolutely over and the Patriots in their division and the Browns, who I thought were going to battle with the Jets for that final seed, are, in my opinion, the two beneficiaries of that news because I think it makes the Browns' job, especially if they go into Pittsburgh with those injuries and beat the Steelers Monday night, easier to make the playoffs. I also think it gives Bill Belichick a window to make the postseason now. But Zach Wilson did not show any signs of improvement. He looked good in the preseason under Aaron Rodgers' tutelage, and maybe he'll get better as the year goes on. Uh, but then Jets offense, they have a great running game. Dalvin Cook looked great. Brees Hall was very explosive back from the injury, but they barely moved the ball on the Jets, or excuse me, on the Bills, who gave them short fields with four turnovers, and Josh Allen was very sloppy. And Buffalo almost won in that game. Uh, so I don't know how I feel about it if I was a Jets fan. I, I know if I'm in Buffalo, I'm panicking, saying Savon Diggs is going to be mad. I'm not sure if we have the right coach. Josh Allen has all of a sudden turned into Carson Wentz. This could be a very disastrous year for Buffalo. They have to go out. They have to make a statement. They owe the Raiders in week two. I expect them to do so. For the Jets, they go to Dallas. It's going to be tough sledding. That defense, led by Sauce Gardner and the Williams brothers, they're going to have to create turnovers, and they're going to have to win this game 10-3, to 13-6. That's how the Jets are going to have to win games this year. We all said they won seven games without a quarterback last year. They're going to have to win seven, eight games without a quarterback again this year uh, because unless they go Tom Brady out of retirement, uh, or, you, you know, a veteran like a Phil Rivers, a Ben Roethlisberger, I'm sorry, Zach Wilson is not the answer. He looked like a deer in headlights last night. Nathaniel Hackett did not know how to call a game. Uh, and I expect this Jets offense to once again look putrid with Zach Wilson. It was just not the answer quarterback. Buffalo, very concerned about them going forward. I think Miami has the edge in the AFC East as long as Tua Tagovailoa is healthy. So again, it's week one. We don't want to overreact. But I thought San Francisco was very impressive. I thought Cleveland was very impressive. I thought Jacksonville's offense looked very good. I thought Miami looked good. Obviously, we know what Dallas looked like. I think, you know, teams that disappointed, obviously Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Seattle, Minnesota. Uh, I would say not even Kansas City because we. I think Kelsey comes back. I think they'll be okay. But I think Minnesota... Um, obviously Chicago as well, 
There was just a lot of weird things going on. It's week one. The bad teams don't know they're bad yet. The great teams don't necessarily know how great they are yet. So it is a feeling out process. The first month really is. Overall, I thought the scoring was down a little bit, especially in the 1 o'clock games. There were some weird games. Defensive minds, offense is not clicking. And I think that's what happens when you don't play a lot of guys in preseason, and we'll see the offenses start to speed things up here as we get into late September, early October. In general, we know how this always works out, right? Your good teams, your Kansas Cities, your Cincinnati's, they're going to be right there, 12, 13 wins. Jacksonville more than likely as well. Same thing with Philly, San Francisco, Dallas. Then, you know, you're going to have your Minnesotas, your Seattle's, your Dolphins, your Chargers, your Browns, your Ravens, all hanging around there for a wild card spot. And you'll have your Houston's, your Arizona's, your Tampa's. They may look surprisingly okay in week one, but they're going to fall to the bottom as the season commences. Uh, and with that, that'll end this edition of Brands World. Again, I thank you guys so much for listening. It'll be another great week of the NFL in not so great college football this weekend, but the following week, we get Ohio State Notre Dame. Should be very interesting. Again, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. You can check us out on Voltage Live. All those links are in the description below. We went two for five in best bets. The Jets screwed me uh, last night from having a winning week. So we got a rebound here. I got to take a look at the spreads. I'll give you guys those on Thursday. Plus, we went 9-7 and seven in the money line. Not terrible for week one. Not great. Once again, the Jets winning last night uh, really put a damper on what could have been a really good money line week and a really good winning best bets week. Nonetheless, in best bets, we hit the Browns. We also hit Philly. Watch Pittsburgh. Watch Chicago. Watch Buffalo. Um, uh, Real quickly, my money line picks. I hit Detroit, you know, I, I I hit Cleveland, I hit Baltimore, I hit Jacksonville, I hit the Saints, I hit Washington, uh, and then I ended up in the 4 o'clock window hitting Miami and Philly as well as Dallas. Uh, obviously, uh, I completely missed on the Steelers-Niners game as well as I completely missed Atlanta, Carolina, Denver, Vegas, Seattle, Rams, um, you know, Tampa, Minnesota, as well as Green Bay, Chicago. So that will hopefully give you guys a great recap for week one. Once again, I'll see you on Thursday. And then on Friday, we're bringing on my man, Dean Samples, Brown and Orange Weekly from Believe Land Media. We'll talk all things NFL and maybe dabble into a little bit of professional wrestling, as well as the new TKO group has officially been formed between WWE and UFC. That'll do it. Have a great Tuesday. Uh, Peace.